1: In the Militantly mixed.
0: Hey y'all, welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl Man, and I'm coming at you today from my parking garage in my apartment complex. <laughs> this is episode 63. My husband is tutoring via Skype in one room. I have a friend from out of town visiting and is occupying my living room, and right now it's blasting TV hella loud. I've been trying to edit and do my job to keep uh, the shows on track, but it's been very difficult with having so many people in such a small space, and I could not find a good time to record my intro, and, uh, and then I finally recorded it last night, but the file was corrupted by the time I tried to edit this morning, so boo! I, out of desperation, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to take my little recording device down to my car and see what happens. So you might hear people walking by or parking, but other than that, I think we're in a good spot, hopefully. This is episode 63, and my guest this week is coming to us from Japan. Her name is Tiffany Toyoda. She is half Japanese, half Caucasian American. She grew up uh, mostly here in the States when she was a kid, but she spent a little bit of time in, in Japan when she was little as well but now she's been living in Japan for the last 13 years. We got to chat about what it's like for mixed folks in Japan right now, which is actually a lot different than I expected. I've only really ever heard a lot of negative things with very few positive things from movies I've seen or the media, documentaries, things like that. She has a totally different experience living there, uh, primarily pretty reasonable and easy. But uh, there's only a few times in which she has to kind of overprove her identity because of situations where they hear her and they hear Japanese person, but they see her and they see mixed person and it's confusing for for them as a culture. So we get into that. It was a great conversation. I can't wait to share it with you. I do have a little bit of news, though, to cover before we go to the episode. First bit of news. And this is a big one. We hit the $200 goal for September. So actually, we exceeded it. We're at $203 for the end of September, which is amazing. I started out a couple months ago back in July talking about setting goals to add an additional $100 worth of sponsorship to the show, not not really hoping to cap out at $500 a month, but uh, hoping to at least hit a minimum of $500 a month at the end of the year. So I started in August, and uh, we hit $100 in August. And in September, we bumped it up to 200 and we hit 200 as of September 20th, which is amazing. Thanks to, I want to do my shout outs right now. So thanks to my friend Shay, She actually came through with a $50 monthly donation to help push us up over $200. She and I have met each other back in film school, back in 2002, 2003. And we've been friends ever since. And she is a huge supporter of all the stuff I'm doing. Like no joke, she supports everything I'm doing. She's also out there as a street team. She's got stickers for the shows and she's posting them around town and she's wearing military mixed t-shirts and fighting with people who try to tell her that she shouldn't be wearing the shirt she is one of my dopest friends and I'm so glad that she's out there supporting everything that I'm doing and then also sponsoring the show like Shay thank you so much I can't even deal with how grateful I am to you and <laughs> everything that I owe you I love you so much I want to give out another shout out to Christian she came through with a $30 a month donation this month which is amazing. And that also really helped kick it getting closer to the $200 mark. So I really appreciate that as well. Thank you, Christian. And thank you also to Evelyn and Natalia for coming through at the $5 mark. This is just the growth that the show has had um, in the last couple months has been amazing. Even when I took the mental health break, the downloads were staying pretty steady. A lot of new people were downloading the show and kind of going backtracking and everything like that. So all of that has been so great to see that much growth. And now with the new sponsorship, there's so much more that I can do. After I catch up on paying off all of the things that I do, you know, all of the annual fees and the software and everything like that, the money that's left over will really go towards helping to push the show, uh, advertising it and things like that and trying to get more ears on it. And that way, hopefully we can also, you know, connect and partner with some some bigger organizations that are doing good work for mixed race people out there. So I appreciate it and help keep us going. The next goal for October is $300 a month, and we're already on our way there with our, our current amount being 203 so only $97 more to go in the month of October, and October isn't even here yet, so let's keep it going. I really, really appreciate the support. If you would like to support the show on a monthly basis, you can go to patreon.com slash mixed. And you can donate as low as a dollar to as high as anything you wish. I did recently update the reward tiers, so there's new things at different levels. Some of the rewards kick in right away, like the shoutouts and the pins and the postcards and things like that. Uh, the t-shirts do kick in after three months of sponsorship. That's when the t-shirts kick in. So if you want to sponsor us that way, patreon.com slash militantlymixed. If you don't want to commit to a monthly donation, but you do want to support the show financially, you can go to paypal.me slash militantlymixed. Donations there also go directly into the main Hustle Media account, and it goes a long way in helping us improve things. Like that. So two ways to donate, patreon.com slash mixed or paypal.me slash militantlymixed, and both those things will go a long way to ...to help supporting the show. This is more of a a shout-out, I guess, or a pitch for y'all to listen to another show. I was a guest over the summer. I recorded an interview as a guest for Motivation for Black People with Justin Michael Williams. Justin and I actually met by chance a couple years ago at a lunch... And uh, I say it in the recording, I was like, I don't even remember, I didn't remember anything about him besides that at that lunch I met this mixed guy. And then a couple months ago we ran into each other again at a black podcasters event. And once we realized we knew each other, we started chatting and he invited me to be a guest on a show, Motivation for Black People. This show is an amazing show and he has spoken to some people that I cannot believe I am now in the company of as a guest on this show. He has done some great work with his show. It's so awesome and it basically focuses in on the black experience and black people out there doing things big things and while he is biracial he is black and persian he has yet to cover mixedness on his show so when we started talking about it we really got into the ideas of colorism and um you know being enough of any particular race things like that and it was an amazing conversation i'm actually really really proud of my part in that interview as a guest also this was the first time i got to interview face to face with somebody as a guest and the experience was really great. I mean, the emotional connection between us while we were talking was amazing. It is such a good show. So please go check out Motivation for Black People. The episode is called Dark Skin versus Light Skin, The Struggles with Being Mixed-ish. And that is, I was the guest on that show. I'm gonna put a link to that in the show notes. I really do want you to check it out. It is a great podcast. Don't just check out my episode, check out other episodes as well. But um, I'm really proud of that interview. All right, what? I feel like I have another announcement of some sort. Let's see, Motivation for Black People, Patreon hit the goal. Did my shout out. Oh, that might be it. I feel like I'm rambling because I also feel very awkward being in my car while people are walking past me, looking at me, holding a microphone and speaking into the void. So I think I'm going to go ahead and wrap up. And without further ado, please help me welcome Tiffany Toyota to Militantly Mixed. So we are back, and my guest today is Tiffany Toyota. and why don't you introduce yourself and let's get into it.
1: Sure. My name is Tiffany Toyota, I'm half Japanese and half, I guess you say, white Caucasian. I've been outside of the States for 13 years now. I've been in Japan, so I'm honestly not up to date with the American lingo these days. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I've been raised by uh, my mom, Japanese mother as well as my Japanese stepdad. And I haven't seen my birth dad since I was about eight years old. So yeah, I kind of never really had like a quote unquote American family in that sense. Mm -hmm. And both of my parents, they've, my Japanese parents, they met in the stateside and they weren't really trying to immigrate to the U.S. permanently either. So i like, guess you'd say they're more of the expat type that always wanted to move back to Japan. That's exactly what they did. Mm. (laughs) Uh
0: And so you're, I mean, even though technically mixed race and you did spend some time in the States, you're really more of a Japanese-Japanese because you got Japanese parents and you lived in Japan a big portion of your life, yeah? Yeah. But then again, I still lived in the States like eighteen yeah. years.
1: So it's most of my life I've been in the States. Oh, eighteen my... years. Okay. I thought yeah. it was just a little bit. No, it's eighteen years. And all of my education, like school stuff, has ninety percent been English in the hmm. States.
0: So in that sense I'm American. Do you but get then when it comes to like food? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like you get out of practice with English because you don't use it as often in Japan where you're at now, or Oh no. Um
1: I've never used more English and Japanese at the same time in my life since as like since I've moved back to Japan. Oh. Because like I've been surrounded by bilinguals. Even my husband, he speaks English fluently, so our conversation's usually like a mismatch of two languages. Oh, do you want me to tell you how I found you first
0: Yeah, of- why don't we why don't we do that?
1: Yeah, because I like hearing other people's stories of how they found your podcast. (laughs) Oh, you do? (laughs) Yeah. So uh, one day, like a few months ago, I was thinking about making my own podcast, actually. I was like, okay, well, first of all, let's see if this like mixed race podcast thing is actually a thing, right? But (laughs) even if it's
0: not, you still got to make it a thing. So
1: Yeah. But then I thought, well, well, there has to be at least one human being out there that has such a thing, right? I mean, there's like only a bajillion podcasts out there. Right. So I was on like the Apple podcast, like searching mixed race, multi-race, half Japanese, Hafu, all that. Mm. And I hit a few podcasts and yours was one of them. It's like, okay, subscribe. Awesome. So that's how I found your podcast. And I listened to a few of them and realized you're also on Instagram. So then I started stalking you on Instagram.
0: <laughs> stalking, I love it. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. And then you mentioned on one of your episodes, you're looking for people to talk to. And I raised my hand. So here we are.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I like knowing how people find it too for a couple things. One is I think it proves like if people can hear how often someone says, well, it was late at night and I was trying to feel connected to my community and I Googled mixed race or something like that, you know, yeah, you, mm-hmm. you hear a version of that. That, I feel like, shows people like, yes, we are absolutely trying to find a community, but there's just not like a centralized place, really established place for us. And because we're so mixed, mixed so differently across the board, we don't necessarily think we would automatically be a joined community. But I think there are ways in which we could. Obviously, for me, being mixed Japanese, I do get really excited when I find other mixed Japanese, because I know that that's a very specific part of mixedness that you know I, I i'm just not walking around running into other mixed japanese you know and and getting to have that conversation it's more often that i'll find a mixed black person like my other side so you know i definitely feel connected there but i don't often get to feel connected to other japanese so i always get excited when there's another japanese but did you discover other like did you discover hafu and uh and like japanese mixed things when you were looking um Besides
1: no me? i mean there was a few instagram pages mm. but uh nothing that was specifically for mixed race japanese
0: i think you gotta do it then
1: <laughs> <laughs> i know right you My gotta people? do it and you can do well, it you can do it in
0: both languages so that uh you cut you hit all the people and i think it'll be amazing yeah i was
1: also thinking that up uh, too because not all mixed race japanese people speak english that's right. like another thing right um there's some people that only speak Japanese that totally grew up here and are basically Japanese
0: Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah well I fully support you and uh if you do do it which I hope you do I will I will subscribe and hopefully it'll improve my Japanese uh if you do speak Japanese during
1: (laughs) (laughs) we'll see how it turns out right
0: it's like a kind of an idea coming out of the box at the moment. Right. I mean, (laughs) Mm -hmm. same with me. I thought about Militantly Mixed for years, and it was kind of born out of a conversation with a fellow mixed friend of mine, who I now host my other show, Blurred Comics, with. Mm -hmm. And we just couldn't figure out a schedule to make it work. And then also, you know, you just doubt yourself. You don't think, you know, like, why would anybody listen to me? And you, you got the imposter syndrome and all that stuff happens. And then one day, everything lined up or was like, if I don't do it now, I'm not probably ever going to do it. And I started it and my first couple of weeks, I think I had like 11 people listen, which were probably all friends and family. Uh, well, probably just all friends. And, uh, but I felt good to know that, like to see those numbers pop up. And, and now that I've been doing it for over a year, uh, I'm connecting to people all over the world. Obviously you're talking to me from Japan right now. I'm sitting in mm-hmm. my teeny tiny little Los Angeles apartment you know, sweating because it's hot as hell and uh, and stuff. And it's just like, it's awesome to be able to do this. And more than that, like, I've already just from our conversations, both through Instagram, and when we spoke a couple of days ago, I just feel like that's just one more connection that I was missing that I needed. Like you're, you're a puzzle piece that has fit into my experience now. And I, I love it. And I appreciate it. So I'm excited for us to finally get to have this convo. Now I feel very special. (laughs) So what, um, when you were deciding to, to reach out to me anyway, I mean, not Mm -hmm. just because I put the plea out, like, what is the stuff in Mixness that you want to talk about or even need to talk about? Like, what was, what was your hope? Well, when I was like really small.
1: I always had this idea that one day, right, like, I can't be the only mixed race person in the entire world, like, that's just, I knew that as a small child, like, in my single digits, but then I had no idea what to do about it, Mm. and I thought, like, one day when I become an adult, like, someone's gonna, like, already come and fix this by now, (laughs) (laughs) Here I am, like, 30 years later, and nothing has really been fixed.
0: I know, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, and uh, for me, the, there, there was a few kickers, but, one of them was I was having a conversation with my mom a while ago, and uh, she was telling she was nagging me to renew my U.S. passport because I haven't, and mm. it was about to expire. Mm. And um, she was saying like, "Oh well, you're like actually American, so you need to do this, la di da." And I'm like, "Okay, okay, okay, I'll do it. I'll just go to the embassy." But then it's just realizing that like your own mother is not able to tell you how to navigate world as the race that you are. And there's a lot of people that, I mean, the mixed race population is growing and there's a lot more people who don't know how to deal with it. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. the mixed race parents, they'll probably be able to handle it a lot better than a single race parent, right? Because personal
0: experience. So, I mean, it's kind of a mixed thing because both of my parents are biracial and both Mm -hmm. of them, neither of them really prepared me for like what what people's reactions to me were. It was basically just like every time someone pointed out something, then my parents would be like, you know, you're special because you're these things. And I was like, great, I'm special. What do I do with that? (laughs) You know, like, where do I go from there? Whereas I think now, you know, they're from, I was born in the 70s. So in in their case, they were barely legally able to be mixed here in the United States. You know, we, there was anti-interracial couple laws and stuff like that out here. So they didn't really know to talk about it. Or at least they were raised by people, the generation that was told not to talk about things. So they didn't talk about things. And so by the time I come around starting to ask questions, because I come from a generation that is more talkative, they're like, yeah, sure, fine, you're mixed you know, go out in the world and be somebody. So I hope now that we're starting to be more vocal and we're trying to reach out to community that we actually do have biracial parents and or monoracial parents in interracial relationships that are actively trying to figure out how do I raise this little mixed kid, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the to your point though, the thing about you, your your own mother can't talk about, you know, half of you, what your ethnic experiences is, is like. It's a thing. And I don't even know how we're supposed to talk about that either. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's something that you're kind of quote unquote
1: not supposed to talk about Mm. because it makes some mothers uncomfortable because they have mixed race kids. Right. But then you got to deal with it somehow.
0: Yeah. And I mean, the biggest thing for me, I think, was that it would have been nice to feel normal sometimes. And I was always kind of reminded I wasn't normal. That's not how I feel now, but that's how I felt. Then, did you yeah. have stuff like that growing up?
1: Yeah, I mean, I knew I was not normal, but then I was a very self-absorbed child who thought, like, <laughs>
0: everybody <is> stupid. <laughs> like, the entire
1: world is stupid. I'm the lucky so. one.
0: <laughs> I'm the only one.
1: So, like, for example, first grade, I was put in ESL class because the teachers didn't think I spoke English. And right. I looked very white. <laughs> But uh, because I was a very untalkative child, I didn't speak to anybody I really didn't know. (laughs) Mm. And I didn't speak up when I thought the other person is stupid either. (laughs) (laughs) So they threw me in ESL. But it worked out great for me because it was a smaller group of people. Right. Yeah. Like as a child, I really didn't like dealing with like 20, 30 people at once. So like one, two other people was easy, but not 20.
0: (laughs) Right. I I I get that too. Um, I was also stuck in it just because I had a British nana on my dad's side and a Japanese grandmother on my mother's side, and uh, I spent a lot of time with them when I was little. So by the time I got around to kindergarten, no one understood me. I sounded like I spoke broken Japanese with a British accent. (laughs) Like it's like I'm telling people I'm speaking English, but they can't tell I'm speaking English. Did you? I wish there was
1: like a recording of this. It'll be hilarious. I
0: would love it. I, that's the one thing I like. I would love it. Um, do you? Did you? How long were you in ESL before they figured out you were actually speaking English? Uh,
1: I think uh, in third grade they moved me out. Okay.
0: And yeah, I had another challenge
1: in life where, at the end of third grade in the states, I moved to Japan in mm. Okinawa, where my mom's from, and I was put into normal public school there oh. without knowing how to read or write. Oh yeah so they're like okay well because putting you in third grade sounds like a really horrible idea we're gonna put you in second grade oh uh-huh so and then you don't have to like there's not much of a gap in language abilities mm. but then like the two three months i think of a few months of second grade i really couldn't follow a class because i did not know how to read the textbooks right so the sp- In Japan, the new school year starts in April, not September, like in the States. Oh. So, yeah, the new school year starts in April. So the holiday you have between grades is like two weeks. It's spring break. Mm. So during spring break... My pops, my stepdad, had me sit down, <laughs> plant my ass down in the chair, <laughs> and he crammed the first grade kanjis and the second grade kanjis all into my little brain in two weeks. Oh, wow. <laughs> For the start of third grade. And I didn't go to the first day of third grade because I had a fever <laughs> mm. from studying too much.
0: <laughs> so just al- just already behind and then putting yourself just a little bit more did it did it pick up quick though once you got that like did that yeah after the first day of my fever (laughs) and it disappeared
1: from the second day of third grade I was fine I was able to like follow along Mm. Mm -hmm. so I guess it was necessary but during that time oh
0: I hated studying (laughs) I bet Mm -hmm. but at least you get like you you're properly bilingual you're not like you struggle through one or whatever you're pretty even across both languages because you've had access to them both at such a young age yeah
1: and and also i was forced to remember like 200 kanjis in two weeks (laughs) Mm -hmm. right and uh, back in the day where there was no youtube and you wanted to watch japanese tv in california you went to these little video shops Mm -hmm. that had recorded
0: japanese tv and you rent them and they were all on like VHS that was handwritten, hand-lettered, or at least yeah. ours was. It was all hand-lettered, so you knew it just like came from somebody's living room. <laughs> yep, exactly. So that's how I watched all the Sailor Moon, Dragon Ball. Okay. Doraemon. <laughs> and that's how I learned my Japanese. That's funny. See, I haven't actually talked to someone who used to get the videotapes before, so that's, that's actually fun because <laughs> that like connects back to, to what I remember from my childhood as well. Yeah, and you're only able to get those tapes if you're in an area with a lot of other
1: Japanese people, like Southern California. Right. I mean, yeah, I'm very grateful that I
0: was in Southern
1: California because I got access to that in yeah. like the
0: early 90s. There's like a 80s. hard to find the pockets of Japanese because like other Asians tend to stay within their communities, whereas Japanese tend to assimilate. And so like uh, when I was with my grandma, it would be Sacramento had a Japanese community. It was small, but they, you know, there was a there was a block of about, you know, maybe five block radius where there was a lot of Japanese stores and things like that, restaurants and mm-hmm. the video store and everything. And then, of course, you could go to the Bay Area, San Francisco or San Jose. And then the next spot wasn't until you got to L.A. So, yeah, if you couldn't get if you couldn't get to one of those, that was it. That was all the Japanese yeah. you had access to. <laughs> <laughs> right. Were you were you in L.A.? Were you or were you? um well, I was born in Anaheim and slowly traveled more south, you could say. Oh, okay.
1: And, uh, yeah, I was in Gardena when I was a lot younger, and then Torrance, Redondo right the Beach area. Okay. Oh,
0: Gar- mm-hmm. Gardena does have a Japanese community, right? I keep seeing if yeah, they, they had do. a festival recently. Yeah. I haven't been out to their festival yet, but. I haven't been out there in like, I don't even know how long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right now, I live near the Satel district of Los Angeles, which is like the smaller version of. So there's. Uh, like little tokyo which is on the east side of downtown or is like downtown los angeles or whatever but i'm on the west side and so it's a really tiny area which i think is i'm not thrilled about it but i think they call it little osaka over here but it's a it's only like three blocks it's just restaurants two grocery stores and like dessert shops like, <laughs> like pastry shops and stuff like that, and that i'm was-
1: interested in their choice of Wording for a little Osaka.
0: Yeah, I don't know why. And the thing is, funny thing is, it's never Japanese who say this to me. It's only non Japanese LA folks. that are like, oh, you live by a little Osaka. And I'm like, yeah, I guess. That. It. <laughs> yeah, I was like, eh. But, um, but yeah, but it's nice to be able to go to the grocery store, you know, walk down to the grocery store and get, um, you know, get my supplies that my grandma used to, like, basically, once every couple months would send me a box when I lived in Austin, or when I lived in Boston, and she would send me like a box of my mom and my grandma stuff. So now I don't have to worry about that, because I can just walk. So that's a that's a nice thing. But I still don't have a connection. Like I hear I don't have like a Japanese Group of friends or mixed Japanese or anything like that I, I really don't have that that connection so that's that's where the show comes in <laughs> that's <laughs> how I find him so what is it like though for hafus in Japan right now I know with the with what the U.S. gets to see it's usually if something prominent happens like when the beauty queen was half black and and half Japanese, we got to hear about it over here. Or we get to sometimes see news about, like, there's an explosion of mixed-race Japanese, and they don't know what to do about it, or whatever. Uh, But when we were talking the other day, it doesn't seem to be as big of a deal as it seems to be from the media here when when we're in the U.S. looking over there.
1: Yeah, I I think uh, the U.S. likes to make a big deal out of Japan not Becoming like a one race country, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but then I don't know. And also another thing is Japanese people in general are more quiet and reserved than Americans. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember on the news they were talking about the beauty queen Ariana uh, Miyamoto, I think Miyamoto was her name. They were just mentioning like this is <laughs> this is Miss Japan. Next topic kind of thing really yeah the internet went a little wild (laughs) saying like quote unquote she's not japanese enough blah blah blah
0: that's how we got to see it because i'm also Mm -hmm. a member of like some social groups online facebook and stuff japanese american groups and basically you would even see it there whereas like she's not japanese enough she's not representative of japan she doesn't look like us her japanese doesn't sound good and it's like she actually doesn't even speak english from what i understand she's born and raised she barely speaks <laughs> so yeah so we I I that's how I saw it presented yeah it, but, but the TV media they would they won't say something like that but the people <laughs> they'll right. say it's all
1: over social media
0: Right okay mm-hmm. So just like and, if it was the Japanese equivalent to our CNN here it would just be like news update there's a hafu beauty uh, beauty queen for Japan
1: Yeah they'll say like uh um, her I'm not sure which one of her parents was Japanese, but for example, like the mom is Japanese and the father is African-American or from Ghana or from the Philippines Mm -hmm. or something. So there always be an introduction of what nationality the parents are. Mm. Mm -hmm. If the person obviously does not look very Japanese, (laughs) traditional Japanese, I should say. But then there was no more comments further than that. And then the internet always gets wild with trolls and weird comments. And people say this stuff, but they would probably not say it to your face if they were standing in front of them.
0: Okay, so that is, mm-hmm. I guess, probably the different experience between what I experience as a mixed Japanese here stateside and what you experience as a mixed Japanese in Japan, because I actually get told by Japanese people here that, oh, you're not Japanese, though, when I explain. Oh, yeah, explain. I get that, too. You do get it? Um, okay.
1: Yeah, I do. I do get it, too. But it's not like, oh why are you representing Japan when you're not Japanese enough? It's not something I get told because it's not like I'm representing Japan. Got so I'm representing oh, them. okay. But
0: That's right. Mm-hmm. Right. You said, so you said that the other day where you, we, it was, it was just like, it's fine to be mixed until you're trying to be represent, until you're trying to represent Japan. Yeah. That's right. Okay. That's when that some sense. people
1: have problems. Right. And, I- the country is just gonna have to get used to it because i think there was a statistic that says like by 2030 mm-hmm. the um, mixed race population in japan is going to increase to 10 percent and right now it's at three oh, okay mm-hmm. so the country is changing and the older generation <laughs> and the conservative mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. are gonna have
0: to adapt Right. Because even just like for the last 10 years or so, we've been hearing that, you know, Japan's going to run out of people because no one's having babies anymore. And then the people who are having babies are having mixed babies. And so Japan's not going to be Japan anymore. (laughs) Basically. It depends on what you qualify as (laughs) japanese (laughs) Right. And I want to say like, even though, yeah, I do not grow up in Japan or anything. My, my cultural connection to Japan is my Japanese grandma inside her house. So obviously I can't represent for Japan, but I'm excited to be a part of the, you know, I want to be a part or accepted part of the culture. If I were to go there, I would want people to see like, yeah, sure, you're Japanese too. You're just not like, I'm an American, I get it, that kind of thing. But I don't mm. want someone to uh, take my Japanese-ness away as if I've had no access to the culture. That that hurts a bit when that happens. Well,
1: I don't want to be too political or anything, but the good news is you don't get shot here for the color of your skin.
0: Well, there's that. So <laughs> in that
1: terms it's easier to live
0: here. Right. So in day-to-day though, just because I'm, you know, I only have my view from what I see in in news and media and things like that. Like you basically just walk around all day and you're, you're just fine. You're not, you're not necessarily outcasted or anything like that. It's just that you did talk about struggling a little bit when they see you in person for an appointment and you have to prove who you are versus like hearing you on the phone. Yeah. I mean, it's, Yes, that that's true because
1: my Japanese name is Mai Toyota. So on paper, I'm completely Japanese, and then right. I show up. So people have a hard time registering that somebody that could look like a white person could have a very Japanese name. But uh, See, people that's... are getting used to that too. Like when I first moved here in 2006, I had people like flip out, and also probably because my Japanese wasn't that great back then. Mm. Yeah, but now
0: there's. There's more people that don't bat an eyelash, which is
1: kind of refreshing to see. Yeah,
0: it's nice to kind of... It's, sometimes it's nice not to be noticed, even though there's times when we really want to be noticed for all the things that we are. But culturally, uh, culturally, I assume you feel more Japanese since you didn't have as much access to... Well, I mean, you grew up in a, in the States, but in terms of your biological father's side, you didn't necessarily have access to whatever his white culture was, is that nah, true? really
1: up until like eight years old i used to go to his house every weekend mm. mm-hmm. but it was weekend and i all i really remember as a child was barbecues
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and uh there was a countdown to noons because nobody was allowed to drink beer before noon or else you become an alcoholic yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that was like the family rule And uh, there was these salads with huge chunks of onions, like huge chunks of onions. And I really hated onions.
0: (laughs) I don't like onions either. (laughs) And other than that, it was like delivery pizza. (laughs) So like culturally, like white American, not necessarily like, oh, I'm of Scott ancestry or... British ancestors or English or something like that just straight up just a white American that's pretty I much I don't
1: remember him like putting forth the European side like full force mm. yeah then man, they might have but I might you have be, you just didn't have not have
0: right so but <laughs> culturally how do you where do you place yourself um <laughs> right in the middle <laughs> yeah yeah I've kind of gotten comfortable with the idea of I'm
1: not going to be completely either which is fine it's Mm -hmm. just how I am but then like I've recently realized like following a few like Asian meme accounts on Instagram (laughs) (laughs) and like episodes of like childhood stuff I'm like oh that's me so in that sense I guess you could say like I would consider myself Asian American right because I understand that culture a lot
0: there's definitely times when like something really benign like uh, I was out at somebody's house the other day and uh, they asked me for my um, they had asked me for business cards and I pulled them out of my backpack in a in a sandwich bag a zipper sandwich bag <laughs> and um, and then I pulled them out and I handed it over and they looked at me and I was like oh yeah that's a Japanese thing <laughs> like my grandma always had stuff in sandwich <laughs> bags to like divide so the things didn't get dirty in your bag. <laughs> so, yeah, but, and they're
1: easy to find because they're see through.
0: Yeah, they're see through and they're all together, so I could separate that business card sandwich bag from the buttons sandwich bag that was also in buttons? the purse. You have a thing of buttons in your bag. Oh, because of my, yeah, because of my shows. So I have like my militantly mixed buttons in case I'm you know talking to oh, somebody okay. about the show and like then I'll hand like them a button. Yeah like a, but, like a yeah, <laughs> yeah, like a pen, like a pin. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, like a pin. Or then I also have, for my other show, Blurred Comics, I also have buttons now, too. So, yeah, everything's okay, in zipper bags. Like, not like your shirt buttons. <laughs> no, no, not like your shirt buttons. Uh, and then also the other day, like, I washed a perfectly good, what I feel was a perfectly good piece of tinfoil. I washed it, and then I, like, laid it flat to, or laid it over a Tupperware to dry. And it was, I just looked at it, and it was like, I don't know, I remember my grandmother doing that. I have never done that. And then, out of nowhere at forty one years old, I decided to wash a piece of tin foil to make sure I could reuse it. And I was like, <laughs> "This is stuff like I know this was my grandma coming out of me because i I remember watching watching her do stuff like that. And then you know i can I don't can't tell if it's just my grandma. Or if it's a Japanese thing or whatever, but I know other Japanese who like, if you've got butter jar, a butter Tupperware filled with anything else in your refrigerator, like it'll look like a butter on the outside, but on the inside it's noodles or it's some something left over or, um, or it's a sewing kit, like your cookie tins or a sewing kit, things like that. Like that kind of stuff starts to make me feel like, oh, I do actually have something like 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 other Japanese cookie container being a sewing kit. I thought that was
1: normal. Like, what else are you supposed to do with an empty cookie can?
0: (laughs) I mean, to be fair, I think a lot of other cultures do this because uh, my black side, they do it also. But I don't know white kids like white Americans to have done that, you know. So I think like I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I think it's pretty likely that like anybody yellow or brown would do it. (laughs) Because I know Filipinos do. I know some Filipino friends that did it. I know other Asian folks that did it. I know um, from California, I know Mexican folks who did it, and I know black folks who did it in my family, but I never, like, white people who I've known, who've seen this meme pop up online about, like, the cookie tins or the butter dishes, they didn't Mm -hmm. do that. Maybe because most of them were able to
1: afford the actual Tupperware.
0: Maybe. And we're just real practical. We try to reuse whatever we can. Like, we've already been really green accidentally you know we we've always preserved things we hand me down clothes or anything like that like we kept that stuff going forever and I can't tell if that's a poverty thing or if that was a cultural thing it just never seemed to be this thing that the white kids that I knew did
1: yeah I I think that's
0: true I I mean like I never
1: realized (laughs) that other people, there are some people in the world that do not use empty tin cans for sewing kits until like a few months ago. Yeah. And uh, another thing that I've realized within the last few years that's very Asian is fighting over the bill. I thought that was a normal adult thing to do. Oh, yeah,
0: definitely. Especially on the Japanese. side. I mean, I, I think other Asians do this, but I know for a fact no one on my white side does this, and no one on my black side did this. It was the only the Japanese side that did this. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, so I didn't realize that until very
0: recently. Did you also have the family do the thing where they would like if they if they lost the fight in the restaurant, you would find a twenty dollar bill or something somewhere in your house?
1: Oh yeah, that kind of stuff happens too. Yeah, or like
0: you, or
1: one of your kids randomly get. uh... Which is <laughs> I'm
0: just said i was like wait it's not graduation it's not birthday it's not a holiday what's yeah. happening <laughs> and then like
1: the the person giving it to you, usually like an auntie or a grandma will be like Shh, you get a secret from your
0: mother yeah yeah
1: <laughs> but then of course i'm like mom eventually finds out right
0: <laughs> right like why why you where you get all that candy from i don't know <laughs> like my favorite thing was um, was finding inside the VHS covers, like me and my brother waking up on Saturday because my mom has to work or whatever. And we'd pull out a videotape. If mom wasn't home to see it, we kept that money. We didn't tell anybody. <laughs> but, um, but sometimes my mom was there and she would see it and she'd be like, oh, and she'd have to try to figure out what family member did it. But I definitely took that on. I I have mastered the art of either calling the restaurant ahead now if my cousins come into town and we're going to meet somewhere, I call the restaurant ahead and give them my information or because the bathroom trick doesn't work anymore. You can't say, oh, I'm going to go to the bathroom because that means everybody's going to run to the waiter. So you got to do it like before, show up to the restaurant an hour before and be like, okay, this is the table, here's the card, don't let anybody pay you, it's gotta be me. And then you end up hating, then you're like in an actual fight with your family. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. they're not gonna I, I talk I thought to you. those fights were a normal occasion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. family gatherings. That's just us, yeah, that is just, from as far as I know, that is just the Japanese, because it was, it was real deal. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or like, uh, even do that with friends like if you know for example if you got a job before your friend did right and you already got your first paycheck you'll pay for your friend's food too right not bad eyelash
0: i'm really trying now that i'm older i'm trying to put it in my mind this way if i'm with an american friend and they offer to pay i will fight it but I will try to concede eventually and try to make sure it doesn't bother me. But I know it'll bother me. And then a couple of days later, I can't deal with it. And I'm like, no, 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 I got to even this out, <laughs> you know, but I try to like I try to. Or it'll be funny, too, because it's years and years of me buying food and, f- you know, whatever for friends. And then mm-hmm. the one time they're trying to do something and they're like, but you always get me and I don't have a response to for that one. And well, that's ha-
1: when you're supposed to say gracefully. Thank you.
0: See, that's tough though because we're been. It is we've been, tough. I'm it's, learning. It's like in our heads since our childhood, you have to fight, or it's your bed or something. You know, <laughs> in in my case, it's always like the threat that you're dishonoring the ancestors, and so like I'm not even a person that believes in any. Like I don't believe in any kind of god or ghosts or any of that kind of stuff. But when a family member would say like you're disappointing the ancestors. Suddenly, I couldn't do any, I couldn't, I had to, oh, whatever I got to do not to disappoint the ancestors.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I have never put my ancestors on as a
0: child. (laughs) You you didn't get that one? Man, I got that one. That's mean. (laughs) Disappointment. I think in in Japanese families, disappointment is like the best way to discipline your children. Like, you don't have to spank me. You don't have to do anything like that. But you tell me you're disappointed in me and you wreck my world.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: then again, in the
1: family, my mom has always been the most disappointing. <laughs> and <laughs> there's no way I could top that one up. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> so how was the extended family? Was there obvious things to you as a child with you being mixed or... Was it less obvious to you because you were the kid, but you knew it was happening to your mom?
1: Well, there was this one point that I realized that um, mix and speak more than one language. And it was when I went to the doctor's office in California and it was a Japanese American doctor. She did not speak a lick of Japanese. Mm.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And I was probably like three or four maybe four. And uh, she was talking to me in English, and I responded with a mishmash of English and Japanese, as I usually do. <laughs> and my mom was like, oh, you need to speak English to the teacher. She only speaks English. And I was like, mommy, what's English? Oh, funny. Mm-hmm. So that that was kind of was, its a memory that I have that kind of defined like, oh, okay, I speak more than one thing. It's right. actually two separate things. And there's a group of people who knows this thing called English. And there's mm. a group of people who know this thing called Japanese.
0: And how did you figure out how to differentiate them from that point? Well, it's because I've been uh, always been a very observing kind of
1: person, mm. <laughs> I'll take notice. So like watching TV shows, for example, there's no bilingual television <laughs> back really? in the day. Really? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. Or so watching my parents like talk to other people. Like, oh, okay, so this thing <laughs> is English and these people talk it. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, oh, this Japanese thing seems to be only with my parents and my parents' friends or sometimes at the grocery store or when we fly back home to right. go see the extended family.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I, I never really thought about what, what would it be like to figure out you were actually speaking two languages. Yeah. So for mm-hmm. me, that was
1: like the biggest shock factor besides like realizing that a mix because it's very obvious that there's right. two Japanese people at home and I don't look like them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, see, that's weird that you say that because to me, and I, I, this happens to me all the time when I'm talking to folks on the show, is like, to me, you look like both Japanese and white. And yet yeah. to me, and, to, and yet you keep saying I look white and I don't see, like, I don't see a white person I see a person very similar to the women in my family, my mom and her sisters, which are half and half. So they're, they kind of look Japanese, they kind of look white. I wouldn't accuse them of being one or the other, though. You know, like, I would have to say you're mixed with something because you don't look like Japanese, you don't look like white, but you look like both. So
1: that's like where the mixed, that's the entire mixed existence. Yeah. But then the reality right now is we kind of still live in a world where people like to categorize things Mm. and people's heritage and racial backgrounds is still within one of those. Still important to people, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's changing, but then it's, it's still not really (laughs) up to pars as how I like it to be. Right.
0: Like, I feel like Mm -hmm. even though it is changing, the way that it's changing here, at least, I don't know if it's the same for you, is that now people are more vocal about it, where people do actually come up and ask, where are you from? What are you? Versus kind of like, you don't... I, I feel like I get it a lot more now than I did when I was younger, even though I've always gotten the question. You know? So people feel like... As a way of being more inclusive, they actually will just be bolder about asking. (laughs) I'm not sure if it works. And it's backwards; like it's not working for me. But for whatever reason, you seem to think that that's how you you include me into your world. You know, I it's it's a strange thing. But for you, like, so when people see you, do they react to you like they think you're white? Well, when I'm in the states,
1: mostly, yeah. Really. Yeah. But then they'll be like, Oh, but I think you're like kind of mixed. And really? I'm like what? Do I have like smaller eyes or something? And they're like, Ah oh, yeah. <laughs> huh. So but- if I may put them in the spot and make them kind of uncomfortable about it, Right. Then they'll
0: like admit it. But in Japan they'll just they'll just ask you to like prove who you are, but they won't necessarily point it out that it's because you Well because in the States
1: there's a, like usually a section where you have to specify your eye color and your mm-hmm. race right yeah in japan there isn't right you don't have to specify your eye color and the color of your skin because mm-hmm. mostly japanese people there's like no Same. point in doing it yeah mm-hmm. so they don't really ask hmm. in that sense and also if they re- if like for example if the ward office really wants to look it up there's this thing in japan called the koseki mm-hmm. and it's your family records Mm. And on my family record, it says my birth dad is in Katakana. So it's like the foreign language Mm -hmm. for in Japan. So it's obviously not somebody who's Japanese and it says where I'm born. So if they really want to look it up, they could. Right. It's not like any paperwork would be different because they did that anyway.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, because mm. I mean, at the end of the day, you're a Japanese citizen and you have been there for so many years. So the only thing is just that when they look at you, you happen to not quite look like everybody else.
1: Yeah. Also, I do get a quite a number of comments asking if I'm Russian.
0: See, that actually does make sense to me because there are se- segments of Russia that are so close to Japan that they, the people yeah. kind of look like they're mixed. Mm-hmm. But they're not like, actually, I, I watch a lot of boxing. And there's a lot of boxers that come from like Siberia and stuff like that, that actually kind of look Japanese to me too. And I'm like, I bet you they are as close to Japan as they can get in Russia, <laughs> because of the <laughs> way their faces. So yeah, I guess that makes sense. Because you are you are a lighter skin, even yeah. for you know, how pale Japanese can be, you are a lighter skin person. But It's just weird. I I know it must be that my eye is different because I am mixed and I've been around mixed people, you know, my mixed family on both sides. So I'm looking for mixed, really yeah the mixed people have the what i call the hafu radar yeah (laughs) and you're able to
1: tell from a herd of people like that person's mixed that person's mixed
0: oh my goodness i used to be so excited i had the biggest crush on a on a boy that uh, that worked at the japanese grocery store when i was growing uh when i was like a teenager his name was uh, kyle but he was a hafu and he worked in the tohu section and Mm -hmm. i remember just being excited every saturday you know oh i'll get the tohu grandma you know (laughs) because i (laughs) want but it was it was not just that i don't think it like i couldn't tell you what the boy looked like now but I think it was just because it was like another mixed face and I was so excited to see someone like that you know that I could feel connected to or whatever that it would give me the excuse to go and you know, stare at the, at the hafu boy back there. But, uh, it it is like you're in a crowd of other people and you're just like, I see one, I see one, I see one. Um, the only problem I think when we're looking at mixed faces is that because we're mixed and we, we don't take on all the characteristics of our ethnicities, sometimes we misjudge. Like it's really hard for me to distinguish most mixed white and like South Asian or Southeast Asians. I can't differentiate a half white and half Chinese mixed person from a half-white and half-Korean mixed person, They kind, if they don't get the eye shape, they kind of resemble to me. Whereas I feel like I can always identify a half-Japanese, but I could be completely wrong. You know, like, I don't know. I just feel like I want to say, like, oh, yes, I can identify them because I'm mixed and I have an eye for it. But, <laughs> but I don't know if I really do. Yeah, there's some challenging ones. Yeah, because even yeah. every now and then a Korean person will look kind of Japanese and it'll be like, ugh. I'm not sure. Or <laughs> well, also like when you trace it all back we're all the same. We come we we had to come from somewhere the same, yeah. yeah. And we all come
1: from, we all come from the same area, so.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's interesting. I mean all in all like what do you feel as a mixed woman in Japan? Like what is your overall feel for how you live, like how you how do you feel?
1: <laughs> I don't even <laughs> I don't even know how to ask
0: the question cuz yeah. I, I like just talking to you I realized how skewed my view view of what it's like for mixed japanese in japan i've always ever heard it as it's like really rough thing for you guys and then i talk, you know i talk to you and you're like most of the time people don't even pay attention unless this and this and it's just so different from what i've heard and then also my experience as like a mixed american japanese is a totally um, different thing too
1: i will say that i it's a lot
0: easier being a,
1: a mixed adult in Japan than a mixed child in Japan. Oh, really? And being closer to Tokyo, there's a lot more foreigners and therefore a lot more mixed kids or mixed people in general. So it's not just mixed kids, but mixed people our age. Right. Yeah, that are walking around being fully normal adults <laughs> contributing right. to society. But uh, if you grew up in Japan as a mixed person, not in the center <laughs> of the city and probably went to a public school, it's a very, very different experience. Mm. Like when I went to public school in Okinawa, uh, I had a really hard time. To be very right. honest, it's it was just because I look different. You're an automatic target for
0: everything. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that seems um, to be more what makes it over here of how you hear. Yeah. It's like yeah,
1: and kids are brutal. Yeah, they are. Kids are such. <laughs> just kids just. are mean and kids are brutal. So they'll t- say everything that comes up. At the top of their head, without thinking twice right. of how it affects other person.
0: Were there so, any other no, with you? No, I was
1: the first per the first person that went to that school that was not like pure Okinawan. No kidding. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and also it was very normal to have these Japanese style like hole in the ground toilets.
0: Mm-hmm. In right.
1: elementary school and i would never used one in my life so oh. but all the toilets were like that so I was like only kid allowed to use the faculty toilet which had the one western toilet in it mm. then again I of course stand up right
0: right because mm-hmm. I had to go
1: like all the way downstairs to the first floor and I was like it's very far end mm.
0: mm-hmm. so schooling in Japan was very tough right mm-hmm. I'm kind of surprised that you to hear that you were the only because I, I I've I told you a little bit that I kind of have been to things about the, the war bride movements, the U.S. war brides and stuff, and uh, hearing how much that happened in o- Okinawa and how many families were, you know, born out of the base, basically, I thought I thought Okinawa actually just, like, had a whole bunch of mixed people wandering around. There is a whole
1: bunch of mixed people walking around. Mm-hmm. It's just if you're closer to the base or closer to the main city, then mm-hmm. there will be a lot of those type of people but then i wasn't in that oh area. you weren't in also, that part of further away yeah oh, okay mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so the, that's why but if you were or if you went to school on base it's a completely different experience
0: hmm. and but in general like are you fairly happy in japan like you yeah to i moved there, here
1: so? in 2006 thinking i'll become more japanese and in two years i'll move back to california and i never did <laughs> <laughs> yeah 15 years later and there's no plans to move back so far so yeah
0: yeah no i think i mean i i would like to spend some time out there to you know to feel more japanese or to learn to be more japanese i guess given you know my very distilled version of japanese culture from my growing up but it's nice to it's nice to speak to someone who has that experience and and actually could probably f- flow between the two countries fairly easily. I mean, like you said, you don't really you're not really up on American slang anymore or anything like that and that kind of stuff would probably make you stand out a little bit, but over time you would you would assimilate back into the culture fairly easy in both cases.
1: Yeah, like uh I don't I never really was a TV person. So oh, okay. all these latest TV shows talks, I don't really get and we don't have Netflix either. <laughs> so You don't so. or Japan doesn't. Japan has Netflix, okay mhm- I, I think they got it a few years ago. I'm not sure, mm. but we in our house in your do house not doesn't. have Netflix, we do not have Amazon Prime and do we do not have Hulu okay, and uh we are one of the rare ones in that sense
0: You just this is not your thing, so
1: <laughs> yeah too too much like t v in general is very loud, right but It's just images and sounds and. Mm-hmm. It's just honestly too much. Yeah. <laughs> too much information.
0: All right. Well, we are coming close to the end. I would like to close out with asking, what do you love most about being mixed? I actually thought about this one.
1: And the first thing that came to my mind was uh, the ability to be native in more than one language and culture.
0: Oh, I haven't gotten that yet. That's cool. Really? <laughs> yeah, I haven't, like, I, haven't gotten, I haven't gotten an answer close to that yet. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. Because like when I'm here in Japan, it feels like home. But Mm -hmm. then there's something missing. But then when I go back to the States, it feels like home. But there's something missing. Right. (laughs) And uh, when it comes to when I was growing up in the States, my uh, stepdad, he likes the 60s. And my mom likes the 80s. So they (laughs) took in between and listened to the 70s all the time in the house. So I grew up listening to the 70s music. Nice. It's, <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: it's some good music from the 70s. I mean, there's some dodgy music too, but... <laughs> I mean, there's dodgy music in any any days, any, jo- age, yeah.
1: in any culture around the world. Right. So in that terms, like I guess you could say that I'm very American because I know, I don't know the artist or the song titles, but I'll know almost every song that we right. on the radio
0: channel. Yeah. Militantly Mixed is a main Hustle Media podcast, produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan, The One. You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantlymixed for monthly sponsorship, or paypal.me slash militantlymixed for a one-time-only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.